Hello and welcome to The Brief by Metpra. I'm John T. Summers, your host for today. I'm recording here live from Remap in the in the fridge in Al Circle Avenue, a very, very cool creative space here in Dubai. And we've got a great lineup for this is our second uh, Remap Creativity Conference. And we've got a, a range of really brilliant speakers uh, from uh, Expo 2020 Dubai, uh, Freedom Pizza, you know, has been great, uh, Kerning Cultures. Uh, we've got some guys from YouTube and I'm, I'm joined uh, very pleased to be joined today by James Lamone, who is the head of content uh, in Europe for BuzzFeed. Uh, James, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, look, I mean, you guys, you guys are the world's number one digital publisher. I think you've got, you know, nine billion uh, content views a month, which is a number that I really can't get my head around that's a lot of zeros staggering i know yeah, uh, yeah. i mean just i mean uh, where, where to start with buzzfeed i mean you guys have sort of you've really redefined how how media uh, operates really over the last 10 to 15 years i think that's fair um tell me what is what is buzzfeed's raison d'etre why 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 what is the why of buzzfeed so buzzfeed is now about truth and joy and i say now because um, we have noticed that over the, the years we've existed as a company, um, first it was to entertain people online in whatever way they wanted to be entertained. And we did that, and we did that well. And now uh, people look to us uh, not just as a media company, but as a leader in the new media industry. And we feel that social media is in a bit of a crisis right now, that uh, things are getting uh, complicated. And you know, I pine for the days back when things were simple in 2008 when we would use our Facebooks to say, hey, do you want to get a, go see a movie tonight to your friend? And now you know, you have Mark Zuckerberg going in front of U.S. Congress and being grilled about meddling in elections and political bias. And when did this all get so serious? It feels right? serious, doesn't it? And so... BuzzFeed just wants to uh, remind people that social media can be really fun. And so for us, that means um, bringing joy to people's day and truth in the sense of our journalism, um, you know, and doing important scoops and work there, but also truth in a more lighthearted way, like a tasty recipe, which shows you a truly delicious thing that you can cook at home. Is, I mean, is, is, do you view what you do as journalism or is it content development? And is there a difference for you guys? Yes, definitely a difference. Um, journalism, I would say, is a. Uh, we have a church and state divide at BuzzFeed, and the journalists are the church side, and you know they have um, a real high ideals that they work towards, and it's a very serious business, and you know they're often reporting on politics and other, um, you know, bad dealers, let's say, and. Um, and on the flip side, um, in the content space, it's a very different model because you're just trying to um, excite people and um, and entertain them. And so it's a much more lighthearted way of life. We don't take ourselves as seriously. And so I think there's a big attitude difference. You know, um, the journalists are very serious, and that is as it should be. Um, and the content creators, um, we have a little bit more fun. However, we do take the business of content. So that's interesting. So obviously, you would have you would have started back in back in 2008 with more of a kind of content led approach. I mean, we sort of you know historically associated of you know cute pictures of puppies cats dressed right. up like kanye yep uh and then and then you've clearly pizza, evolved babies pizza yeah <laughs> all Go, the important goats things. behaving like chickens you know uh yeah all, all the important things to get you through your day and i guess that's that's still a part of it but then it you is. added this 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 other layer what, what brought that evolution 
Yeah, so you know what people don't realize is the only reason BuzzFeed ever talked about cats and kittens and puppies and pizza is because it turns out those are the only subjects on Earth that we, we as human beings universally recognize as exciting and that we will share. Everyone everywhere loves them. And so as we began to make content of all different types, you know, the, the direction internally was do whatever. Do whatever shares. Do whatever goes viral. And let's learn from that. And if you let people do whatever, what you'll net out to is pizza, babies, and pe- and and kittens. That's it. That's what the internet wants. So um, that's how we started. And then um, we've really just followed those sort of winds of content ever since. And I think the best example of this is the Tasty channel. Um, we were just trying to make videos that would be successful on Facebook, any videos. And in fact, the story goes that um, the, the sort of content boss at the time, this was in LA, he he had like 50 people. He gave them all cameras and he said, go off and shoot videos. I don't care what, but I want them to go viral on Facebook. They all went and it was a time of rich experimentation. And after a couple of weeks, someone had filmed a video that was uh, a pseudo top down video of food. And that video ended up becoming the most viral video of anything that anyone made. And it was interesting to us. We were shocked. We thought, why do people want to see this recipe being made from this specific angle? And so we continued to iterate and learn. And when we eventually formalized the top-down recipe um, style and format, that page became the fastest growing page in Facebook's history, I believe. Um, over a million likes in the first month of its existence, Tasty. And uh, and now Tasty has over 100 million likes on Facebook. It's the world's largest digital food publisher. And BuzzFeed owns and operates it. But we didn't want to be a food brand. We just wanted to entertain people. And now, we, you know, we have a lot of chefs on staff. So it's a wild world. You just went, just went, just following the audience led you to create this product. Exactly. And I think that there's, you know, a, you asked earlier, what is our what is our reason, our why as a company? And I think really, you know, it, it is the entertainment piece. We just want to entertain people and do what they want on social. And, um, and you know, we, what we're trying to do is stick to our roots and make sure that that the way we entertain them is is about truth. It is about joy. We don't want to, um, you know, be clickbait or be disingenuous or anything. Yeah, I was going. I was going to ask you about clickbait. I mean, obviously, that's you know, it's a, it's obviously a derogatory term, but I, but I guess you you guys have kind of been at the heart of that kind of that, that know, industry. That industry, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that um, you know, if you say clickbait to people at BuzzFeed, you can ruffle feathers because. Um, Culturally, a lot of people view BuzzFeed as in the clickbait set, that they think that our content is, because it's, uh, it's fun and simple and clickable, that it's uh, something that can be dismissed as not important. And I think we're actually highly sensitive of clickbait, because what we find is that if you create something that you uh, will drive an audience to click on, but then they bounce immediately away from the video or the website, that's bad for BuzzFeed. We don't. We want you to stay. We want you to enjoy the thing that we make. We want you to watch the video to completion. So we are actually very focused on those metrics. So we would argue that we're not clickbait, and our view-through rates would prove that, and our page dwell times would prove that. But there's a lot of others who basically co-opted the sort of title conventions that we had created and made something that was clickable but then didn't follow it up with substantive content. What's a, what's I mean what, what's a good example of a story that you have done recently because of its inherent value as a, as a as an important story rather than just something that's you know shareable for fun. Um, well, on the journalism side, I mean, that's all we do. Right. So we broke a really big story this summer in the UK about a uh, collusion uh, the um, Italian government um, conservative politician was basically colluding with with uh, Russian officials and they were paying him off in this dirty deal and it's the first ever um, instance of this type of uh, Russian meddling being officially caught on 
um, with evidence, in this case, a recording of a conversation they had in a hotel lobby, I believe. And so, um, you know, we, we break stories like this quite frequently, actually. Um, and people don't realize that, that it's actually BuzzFeed journalists who are doing this work. How big is your journalism team in Europe? Um, in Europe, it's about 20, 25 people. Okay. And on the content side? On the content side, about the same. Right. Yeah, 25. It's a pretty small team for quite a big imprint. It is. It is. I mean, you know, we, the U.S. team uh, for Context, you know, there's um, about a thousand people working there. And um, the, uh, we are small but mighty that um, we are able to really make, I think, punch above our weight and make a lot of content because we have, uh, you know, Big Brother's help in the States. So they can do test and learn at a grand scale and we can just harvest only the best learnings to then apply. So we don't have to go to all the trouble that they go. And that allows us really to operate in a way that's really lean and efficient, but to deliver great value. Yeah. How do you, how do you, I mean, we've just, I've just heard you uh, give what I think is probably the most invigorating talk that I've heard in, uh, in, in 30 minutes at uh, uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, how do you, and you talked a little bit about metrics and how, and how you view success. I mean, how, how do you, what constitutes a successful, a successful kind of editorial, uh, you know, moment at BuzzFeed? What does a benchmark look like? How do you KPI things? Right. So data is very important. If you're if you're someone who's making content and you don't have a really locked down strategy for how to uh, measure that success, you need to get that done first. Um, and so at BuzzFeed, um, we have, you know, we have the social platform uh, dashboards that I'm sure everyone has, you know, on YouTube, on Facebook. So we can look at that. But actually, what we use as a benchmark of success is an internal um uh, benchmark that's uh, a platform we have built out. It tracks all of our content that we've ever made and it categorizes it based on the platform it went on and the sort of content it is. So a tasty video going on Facebook would be different from a tasty video going on YouTube would be different from a BuzzFeed quiz on our website that's also being distributed on Facebook. So between all of these different formats and platforms, we measure the uh, total success of them across um social measures like views, like comments, like shares. And these become uh, the best ever become the new benchmark. So they are like the number one. And we measure that as like 100 out of 100. Right. And then everything else is a measured. That's like the that. gymnast getting all the, the sixes at the side. Exactly. Of the perfect tens, right? Not sixes. Perfect yeah. ten, exactly. <laughs> and then um, we try and make sure that our best performing content internally, I think we're excited if anything goes above upper 90. If it's upper 90, that literally means that it outperformed 90% of other content that's been put on that channel in that way. And so we try and do the upper 90, um, and we really get excited um, at 95 and 99%. Those are sort of the, that's like the gold and silver. I think, uh, you know, if you do 99, you're like, I went viral today. If you do 95, you're like, I did really good, but there's still room for improvement. And if you do above 90, you're like, I'm doing my job. And we look to see content creators hit that benchmark with regularity, like every month. So, you you know, this 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 uh, will be listened to by, you know, a host of marketers and, and comms directors. Simple question. How do I go viral? It's a tough question because the answer is you can't always know, right? And even at BuzzFeed, we certainly don't know. And we have, you know, weaponized this stuff and we work really hard to try and do it. Um, I think that the the best case, though, is to think about being audience first, that if I think, you know, whatever potential you have to go viral is not going to happen unless you actually produce the piece of content to live on the platform to go viral. You know, if you're going to do a, a, something about a restaurant, 
you need to start with the best looking food shot you can get that's going to be you know the money shot if you will that gets everyone hooked in to watch the rest of the video if you don't start with that no one will get to it you know so there's little creative things like that but then once you go beyond that to have a concept that really goes viral and travels you know i think um that is tough you have to tap into something that is uh, emotional and um, and people talk a lot about storytelling on social media. Mm-hmm. But I would argue you don't have a lot of time to tell a story. Really, what you want is something that evinces a really strong emotion that makes you whip out your phone, show it to a friend, and say, "Look at this! Look at this! Have you seen this?" So if you're if you can make something that's very funny, that's very delicious, that's very exciting, or you can um, bring truth to the audience by showing them something they didn't know existed, that is really exciting. So the, the yeah, and one of the one of the uh, the moments we had in the in your presentation just now was talking about um, was talking about Shia La, this Shia LaBeouf meme and yep. uh, and where, where were the, where were those students again who decided to create Central St. Martin's Central St. Martin's in an art school yeah mm-hmm. and so they created like 30, 36, 36 minutes of video that's correct and, and only 30 seconds of it went viral yeah I think about 30, 45 is, seconds is that the kind of ratio of you know total creativity to kind of output that typically goes into a BuzzFeed story, do you think? Yeah, I mean, a that's a, that, that is such a good example. The reason I use it is, um, and the backstory for those who don't know, is that there's a Shia LaBeouf meme of him in front of a green screen going, just do it, just do it. And that became a very viral meme. And um, what's interesting about it is it's, fr- it's a clip from a 36-minute video, but only that tiny clip actually went viral. And the lesson learned there is that because none of us know what will really go viral and break through, that you can't set your benchmark of you know breaking the internet because you're just not going to do that every day. So the best way to set yourself up for success there is to try it every day and try a lot of things. Don't have a you know if you're if you're working with um a prof- if you in a professional capacity, don't have just one plan. This is our marketing strategy. We're going to do one video this quarter. You know you ideally split the budget, do 10 simpler videos instead, because then one of them will do better than all the others. And you'll go, why? And then once you figure that out, you can roll that into the next round. You talked a little bit about um, about the the kind of uh, the, uh, the spectrum of content with media organizations on one side and brands on the other. And I guess one of the challenges for brands is they're used to they're used to pushing product a lot of the time, and, and media organizations are not. Don't, don't come from a product selling sort of space but that's that's uh, i guess if you are you know for for our listeners who are typically advising companies who want to sell more product what what advice would you give to a a traditional brand that wants to wants to sell more product but you know needs to look at how social can help them achieve that right so the story i would tell is that social is probably not the place to push your product that there are certain channels to do that on um, and and you can do it as part of your social strategy too but um, ideally you want to to sell something about what your brand stands for you want to story tell on behalf of your brand you want to elicit that emotional response and if you sell a product that's not going to be very emotional and ultimately what what successfully um, connects with people on social if you want to see success there is something that is and so you sort of have to play by these rules if you want to see the real success so um, you know, the thinking audience first, like a media company is something I think a lot of brands can do or, or, you know, it should be said partnering with, with someone like Buzzfeed who does do that stuff. And that's the service we offer effectively is as, you know, consultation where you can create something with us that goes live on our channels and your channels. And, um, you know, if you do that well, 
um, you can really uh, build a lot of affinity with an audience, make sure that your brand stands for something. And then there's always the retargeting strategy of then hitting them with the harder working units that are really selling the product so that you can make sure you're top of mind. I think that works really well. And I would advise doing that. Yeah. I mean, you, t- you, you say you talked audience, audience first, you know, which, which, you know, is probably quite an easy concept to grasp, but quite a difficult one in practice for many corporates. And a, 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 a quote you said in, in there is that social media is, is deeply personal and, and fragmented. And, and most importantly, I think it's actively curated by me. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it kind of does. It does kind of place uh, an emphasis on 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 brands needing to think very very granularly about their audience. Really, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that is the world we live in. You know, you want to go viral. You want to also sell your product. Well, good luck because you know this social media space is for me by me, and I don't actually come there to have products sold to me. And, and this isn't. You know, this is how every consumer feels. You know, the the hard sell doesn't have a place there. And I think brands get they they think that they're doing it well by making that hard sell look really nice. And you know, they but they are ultimately it's too evident to consumers who are very savvy. By the way, you know, I mean, everyone remembers the time before Instagram had ads. That was only what two and a half, three years ago. <laughs> everyone remembers this. I remember the first day I saw an Instagram ad, and so. You shouldn't act as though these things don't exist, that the the consumers you're marketing towards are savvy and they get it. They're like, okay, they're showing me this because they want me to book this or buy this or go here. And if they're not, uh, if you don't have that hard working message and it's more of a brand awareness thing, they're still thinking, well, why are you showing me that? You, it's because you want me to go there. And so if you have that savvy consumer and you're also trying to reach them in this deeply personal space, you you have to be generous. And I think that's the word I would use as a brand because you're thinking about your budget and you're thinking about how to you know utilize it and improve the value of it and make sure it's measured and everything and efficient. And I think you should you know try and find a little, you know, kind of a... a, a, a R&D budget, you know, and, and be generous with your audience in that zone and say, you know, for this, for this, we're just going to find a conversation that's happening naturally online. We're going to use our budget to produce some great com- content that fits in that conversation. And then, and then say, oh yeah, by the way, this is from us and see what people think. And you might find they're going to love it. And in the comments, they'll say, oh, I love this brand. I've had a great experience with them. And you go, huh, okay. Something's really happening here. Use that as a start. So James, just, I mean, one last question before we go, if you had to, if you had to look into your kind of crystal ball and look ahead, you know, three to five years, where, where will social be? Where will BuzzFeed be? I think that what's happening now is really interesting where social uh, companies and influencers as well, who have big social followings are beginning to find ways to actually create products and tap into those audience members and turn them into consumers. And this is really fun for us at BuzzFeed because we make products that are socially informed that are so exciting. And um, one fun example is that we knew that people um, loved fidget spinners, if anyone remembers when that was a thing, and um, beauty, lip gloss. And so we had the idea to put lip gloss on the edge of a fidget spinner. So you had this makeup, fun makeup <laughs> container. And we sold these things and sold out of them. And, um, and you know, it's, it's fun stuff like that. And we, we've even worked with brands in this capacity. And a great example is there's a fertilizer brand in the States. And they wanted millennials to buy fertilizer. And as you can imagine, that's a hard sell. So we thought, God, what could we do and make something that millennials would like? How could we make fertilizer interesting? And we had the strangest insight. Millennials, bear with me here. They love the Zodiac, 
Um, and they, you know, astrology and knowing their star sign. And they also love houseplants, caring for plants in their house. And so I don't know where this is going, but it I sounds know, crazy. Here it comes. We realize that there are certain plants that grow based on the lunar cycle and that this is um, intersects with astrology. And so we made a subscription plant care service based on your star sign where we send you plants that are going to align with the lunar cycle for you that That's month. That's amazing. And we package the fertilizer in and you can use it to keep the plants alive. So this is a subscription box and we sold out of these as well. It's really popular. And I, th- I just think it's really fun because never before have we sort of used these insights in this way. And I love that we can actually make tangible goods that social media is so ephemeral and now you can actually buy something that's very social <laughs> and informed and fun. So I'd like to see that future. That's amazing. James Lamone, uh, head of content for BuzzFeed Europe. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today on The Brief, the podcast from Metpra. It's been a great 2019. This is our last podcast for this year. So on behalf of all of us at Metpra, uh, I'd like to wish you all the best for an excellent Uh, end of the year and we will see you in 2020 if you want to find out more about us go visit us on the website at mepra.org or follow us on any of our social channels